a look at policy around the fentanyl crisis. You cannot have no consequences for selling a drug that's akin, really, to shooting a gun into a crowd. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Beth Accomando speaks with the star of the new movie, Violent Night. You go on this wild action comedy ride, and then at the end, you come out with that Christmas movie thing of like believing in the spirit of Christmas. And we'll talk about the Broadway plays and musical performances on this weekend's art scene. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This week, San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria signed an executive order responding to the fentanyl crisis in San Diego. It directs the San Diego Police Department to focus more of its efforts on disrupting sales of the drug. In 2021, more than 800 San Diegans died of fentanyl-related overdoses, many of them homeless. Sam Quiones is a journalist and author of the book, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. He joins us now to talk about how we got to this point. And Sam, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jade. Appreciate it. So how has fentanyl become such a major problem? How did we get here? Well, I think it makes sense to the drug trafficking world in Mexico. It is a perfect replacement for heroin. You don't need to grow poppies. You can make fentanyl in a laboratory uh, without rainfall or sunlight or farmers harvesting it. All you really need now with fentanyl is access to shipping ports. And the Mexican trafficking world, particularly on the western side of, of Mexico, has access to two major shipping ports on that on the Pacific coast, through which they control a lot of the flow and they can get all the ingredients they need, uh, not just for fentanyl, but also for, for methamphetamine. Of course, Mexico City's airport is also a major source of this as well. And they control the ability to get the ingredients to fentanyl, to be able to make as much fentanyl as they as as they want. And, and so what you're seeing now is that this drug, along with methamphetamine as well, has really covered the country. They're making so much that they can really cover the country, the United States with fentanyl and and it's finding its way into all kinds of things because it's so cheap, so potent. So you're seeing that it's just a stunning ability of production, supply production because these drugs are now synthetic and they don't obey seasons like like plant-based drugs. And that's that's really why San Diego's seeing this, but also virtually entire country is seeing the same problem. 
And so in response to all of that, we have an executive order from Mayor Todd Gloria, which would increase enforcement measures against the drug. How well has this strategy worked in other cities? Well, I mean, I think people are just trying to figure out what to do, right? I don't think their strategies have not been employed regarding fentanyl in too many too many places. We, we've been uh, consumed with COVID for the last two years. And, and, and I would say that making it clear that sales of fentanyl are a bridge too far, so to speak, is one of the things, among many, that need to happen. Uh, you cannot have no consequences for selling a drug that's akin, really, to shooting a, a gun into a crowd. I mean, you sell fentanyl, you know you're going to hurt somebody, and it's likely you'll kill somebody. So yes, uh, enhanced enforcement. I would say this, though, and that is that this seems to me to have graduated to a whole new level in, in terms of governmental involvement. And I think really now a major part of this needs to be taken up by the State Department with Mexico. Mexico and the United States need to find the ways that we should have developed years ago of, of collaborating on these issues over the last many, many, many years. There's no president of, of, of either country uh, that I think has done what needs to be done in terms of collaboration with the other part. Um, I lived in Mexico 10 years and it was never that 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 way when I was there. I, I do think, though, that this has graduated beyond what any city or county can really in the long run do much about it, it needs to get to uh, the, the, the national governments uh, as well. You know, fentanyl has become a major issue facing communities across the nation, as we've discussed. Is there any room for hope when we talk about overcoming this problem? Well, you know, this is not a natural situation. This has been created by what I was just talking about. So I don't think that this is a natural outgrowth of of, of anything. It, it just is part of a culture that's evolved down in Mexico, away from plant towards synthetics. And my my feeling is that the more we understand that the addiction epidemics in our country, going back now 20 years to the opioid epidemic with pain pills and heroin and so on, uh, the more we understand the lessons there. And to me, it really feels like we need to focus so heavily on the on the most local things, meaning street level, parks, churches, rebuilding and restructure and, re and strengthening community. To me, these are the, the, the addiction issues we've been living with. It's a long story, but, but the addiction we issues we've been living with have really kind of been rooted in our own shredding of community uh, across this country for 40 years now, our own isolation, our own uh, uh, fragmentation, unwillingness to kind of be, we're too prosperous maybe for our own good. We can live on our own without the help of anybody else. To me, this feels like a, a dramatic cultural pivot that happened in the last 40 years away from being around other Americans, from being part of communities. And you're seeing this in many, many, many ways. One of the symptoms, it seems to me, is this epidemic of addiction that we've seen and reached new levels in the last 20 plus years. And I think my, the, the focus of my last book was really about that, that, that we we have the ability evolved in us to need community. To And just in this country, in the last 40 years, we've decided it was not necessary that we could go on being around other people is a painful or a pain in the butt. You know, now we've got this, the, this problem that is staring us in the face the very roots of which are, are our own unwillingness to, to kind of be in community. And we need to think about this in those terms, it seems to me. I've been speaking with author and journalist Sam Quinones. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Jade. Thanks so much for the interest. 
Santa takes on a group of mercenaries who hold a family captive on Christmas Eve in a new R-rated action comedy film, Violent Night. David Harbour plays the put-upon St. Nick, who serves up a different kind of holiday cheer. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke via Zoom to Harbour, who was in Budapest shooting Thunderbolts. And so, David, what attracted you to playing this Santa? When they initially pitched it, I was very confused. I didn't really understand it. And then I read the script, and what I found was really unique about it was you go on this wild action ride, action comedy ride, and then at the end, you come out with that Christmas movie thing of, like, believing in the spirit of Christmas. You know, when I read the script, I got a little choked up about him and this little girl, like all the lengths he went to save her and how it made him believe in something larger than his self-pity had been. And uh, I really like that. Hello? Santa? Yeah, Santa. Daddy said you were very busy tonight. I'm on a break. Who, who am I speaking to? My name is Judy Lightstone. And I've been very good this year. I'm in a big room with all my relatives. There's two bad men with guns watching us. Gonna get you out of there. What did you specifically want to bring to him? I mean, I knew that the action and the comedy would take care of itself to a great degree, although I did like bringing a lot of the dry humor of cynical Santa. One of the things I really was conscious of is I wanted the movie to have that that heart, that really beating heart between him and the little girl. So I kept going back to the original Miracle on 34th Street. I wanted our movie to have that same sort of feel to it at the end of the day. And so I kept working with the director on developing that relationship and getting it stronger and stronger. I really wanted to bring a lot of heart to this wacky action comedy. Well, and you mentioned your director. What does uh, Tommy Workola bring to this? He is Norwegian and he's really into Christmas in this very Norwegian way where I guess they're like really in, like he taught me all about reindeer He's just really into Christmas because of the Lapland type quality up there. I guess there's a lot of like like ancient Christmas ideas that he loves. So, you know, he brings a certain sensibility that's kind of this brutal action-y sensibility, bloody comedy sort of thing. But he also is just a big fan of Christmas. So he brought a lot of Christmas passion to the project, which was really nice. And what was the challenge of doing action in a Santa suit? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's harder than being in a superhero suit. Although it is a version of his own superhero suit. But it's not built that way because the big old buckles in the front. There's lots of things that can catch. The worst thing was the beard and the mustache, though, because I couldn't grow my own. I had to wear It's all fake. So there would be horrible takes where I'd be wrestling with some guy, he'd punch me, and then you'd turn around and my beard would be hanging off. We'd have to do it all again. So... If you're going to do a big action movie, I'd recommend not doing it in a fake beard and mustache. How would you describe your particular Santa at his point in life right now? He was a certain guy, and then he sort of created this thing about giving gifts at Christmas to little boys and girls, and he thought it was a, a thing that was going to bring about generosity and peace on earth, and it, it backfired. And I think when we start the movie, he's like a saccharine version of himself. He's what everybody thinks he is, so he's kind of dopey and and you know in this big red suit and kind of you know fat with the beard and everything and he doesn't know who the hell he is really 
And I think that's the fun thing about this movie is he is this trope and he's created a, a holiday full of greed and he has to go on this journey to sort of unearth who he was that may not have been such a good guy, but that may be necessary this Christmas to really take on the nice and the naughty list. He said these guys. They're naughty. And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. And one last thing. Did you believe in Santa when you were a kid? What are your memories of Santa Claus? I believed. Yes, I was a big believer in Santa Claus. And I remember thinking, like, when I saw that plate of cookies and that milk drunk in the morning, those cookies bitten into, I really, as a kid, thought it was like DNA evidence. I was like, this is forensic evidence that Santa Claus actually exists. So, yeah, I was a big believer. Thank you very much for your time and for a new Santa. Thank you very much. Pleasure talking. That was Beth Accomando speaking with David Harbour. Violent Night is currently playing in cinemas. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For our weekend arts preview, we have the Broadway production of To Kill a Mockingbird, a young violin sensation returns to his hometown, and some visual art. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. And Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So let's start with the new theater adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird by Aaron Sorkin, who is famous for TV shows like The West Wing and movies like A Few Good Men. Uh, You've seen the play. What can you tell us? Yeah. So this is Harper Lee's hugely popular novel. It was written in 1960. And Aaron Sorkin's stage version opened on Broadway in late 2018. But because of the pandemic, this is the first national tour. And as a reminder, the story of To Kill a Mockingbird is set in the Great Depression in the town of Macomb, Alabama. And it's about the trial of Tom Robinson, who is a black man falsely accused of the rape of a white woman. And it's also about his lawyer, Atticus Finch, played by Richard Thomas, and his kids Scout and Jem. And like the book, the play is still told through Scout Finch's perspective, whose age is kind of ambiguous in the play, but in the book, we know her to be six. But unlike the book, Scout and the play is one part of this like three-part narrator trio. So along with her brother, Jem, and their friend, Dill. And this is really well done. They break the fourth wall. They talk to the audience. They talk to each other as the scenes unfold around them. And the timing's also a bit different. It begins with a scene from the trial 
And then the set's broken apart and it's reformed into the Finch porch and then it hops back and forth in time and place between the trial and then the rest of the story to kind of fill us in. And I found that to be a really interesting way to experience the trial. I felt totally wrapped up in it. Then Sorkin has this knack for dialogue and it really shows here in the script. And while I'm talking about the dialogue, um, we should note that there are some racist slurs in the script. So in that sense, it is true to the original text. To Kill a Mockingbird is at the Civic Theater through Sunday with a show tonight plus matinees and evening shows on Saturday and Sunday. Some young classical musicians are coming to town for a performance. Tell us about Randall Gooseby and Zhu Wang. Yeah, so Randall Gooseby was actually born in San Diego, and he studied at Juilliard, is this phenomenal violinist. He released his debut album, it's called Roots, that was in 2021. And Roots is this collection of classical music by Black composers or works informed by Black American culture. And Zhu Wang is also a young musician, also studied at Juilliard, and the two are frequent collaborators. Here is a little taste from their NPR Tiny Desk performance just this last September. Here they're playing Samuel Coleridge Taylor's Deep River, an arrangement for violin and piano by Maud Powell. performing at the La Jolla Music Society's Conrad Prebis Performing Arts Center this Sunday at three o'clock. And they'll do four works, including one by composer Lily Boulanger, uh, works by Ravel, William Grant Still, and Beethoven. All right. And the La Jolla Playhouse just kicked off their DNA New Work Festival. Uh, What can we expect? Are these fully produced plays? Not yet. These are what they know in the theater world as readings. So actors will stand or or sit together on a stage and they read directly from the script. They don't have sets or costumes yet, and they usually don't follow the stage directions. So yeah, these readings are of brand new plays, and the playwrights have been working with La Jolla Playhouse directors on the scripts. So these readings are the culmination of this development process. They're definitely all very well written and finished, but it's still a glimpse into the playwriting process for the audience. And Saturday Night's Play is called The Loyal Opposition by Keith Boonin, and it's directed by the Playhouse's Christopher Ashley. And the other play this weekend is Idris Goodwin's Manny and the Wise Queens. It's directed by Jacole Kitchen, and that one has a little bit of a holiday theme to it. And that one, the performances are tonight at 7.30 and Sunday at 2. And then there are two more plays that will have their readings next weekend. And all of these are free, but space is limited, so you'll need to register in advance. Tatiana Ortiz Rubio has a solo show at the La Jolla Anthenaeum and is doing an artist walkthrough tomorrow. What do you know about her work? So Tatiana Ortiz Rubio, she's known for these super detailed charcoal works, often in huge mural form too. And her exhibition here is called Light Cones. It's a collection of cloud sketches uh, and murals, and these are made from charcoal and graphite. 
And the name of the exhibition comes from the path of light when it's traveling through space and time. And for the show, Ortiz Rubio was interested in studying time and that the idea of fleeting moments. And I love how that works with these cloud sketches since clouds are so fleeting themselves. And she'll be doing a walkthrough of the exhibit on Saturday at 11 a.m. And these walkthroughs are such a nice chance to hear what each piece means and you can get a sense of the artist process as well. Then the exhibition will, will remain on view through December 31st. You can find details on these and more arts events and sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter at kpbs.org slash arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend.